Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Uh, we are talking about a very, very, very um, dirty word this morning. Very, very dirty word. Uh, not because of, of, of what it insinuates or that it is a dirty word or that you can't use it um, in, in PG movies. But dirty word in the sense of when you bring up this word inside of Christian organizations, inside of churches or denominations, as soon as you bring it up, there is a quick opinion that we run to based on where we grew up in church. I'll show you. Baptism. Now, here's what happened in the room. Some of you were like, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. Like, how many of you kind of have this? You don't, don't raise your hand if you don't, you, you don't want to feel persecuted or whatever. That's fine. But we have these things. We, we grab a hold of it. Uh, others of us go, um, yes, I remember seeing my, my infant son get baptized in the Catholic Church. Some of you say, well, baptism is something that adults make that decision. It's what happens in churches is that people grab a hold of these things and oftentimes we will leave what scripture says about it completely alone and we will run to our denominational ties or loyalties and we will hold on to that and really maybe not even know why it is we believe what we believe it's just because check this out grandpa believed it right it's true we just hold on to stuff why well because i loved grandpa was grandpa a theologian no he's a plumber you know sweet well you base all your theology off of plumbers? Excellent, you know? Could go down the drain. Nice pun, Jared. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I meant toilet. <laughs> That's funny. To, whatever. Um, and so when you bring up the word and you begin to talk about it, there is, we kind of form cliques or opinions or at least camps where we believe a thing about it. There are these kind of questions that evolve when you talk about the word. Let me give you a few of these questions. Uh, what about infant baptism? Is being sprinkled the same thing? Am I saved and then baptized? Or does it happen at the same time? After being baptized and I sin, does that mean it didn't work? That's funny. Okay. We'll cover that one. All right. Should I be baptized again if that's the case? I sinned, oops, should I get back in the magic water? I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it. What about my dad? He was never baptized. Does that mean he went to hell? I want to get baptized, but I really need to work on cleaning myself up first. Like all of us fall into one of those deals. Like we grab a hold of a thing and we, when the truth of it is, how many of us have studied what it actually means, what baptism actually is. Well, few of us. Going to Ozark Christian College for four solid years, uh, here's what I heard. A constant argument between Christians who would end friendships with one another based on the necessity of salvation. Forget turn the other cheek and forgive your brother. Screw that guy. He wants to go to hell for not getting baptized. What is happening it's the weirdest deal. It's the weirdest deal. What I want to do is this. I want to talk about what it is, what it means, just give a brief introduction on the history of the word, 
what the word meant to them back then. And then, at the end of the service, we're going to baptize three different people. Not as an example, because that's the decision that they made. Okay? Here's the first thing that I want to show you. The word baptism is different than the word dead. Just like if you read in the obituaries, Myrtle Wilson, 94, died. You read that in the obituaries. Oh. Or if you read about a death that's on the front page of the newspaper, right? Keith Burrell, 24, murdered. It's a completely different thing. Baptism is this gnarly, heavy word that suggests absolute, overtaken, violent death. That's what the word meant. The church universally accepted this idea, the first church universally accepted the idea that what baptism was, was what the word meant. It's what you do to Oreos and milk. No? No, that's not what you do? No, of course not. That's not elbow deep in a glass of milk, right? That's how you dunk an Oreo. He's going to pay today. to mash this thing. This is, that's the word. Violently dunk, plunge. Historians would say this. A lot of people in the world in the first century would have died from contaminated water, from bad food. They would have passed or died. But if you were a sailor or a fisherman and the storms on the sea came and overtook your boat and you and everything that you had caught and sent you to the bottom of the sea to drown, they would have said he was baptized into the ocean because it was an overtaking, a complete and utter overtaking. A lot of soldiers would have died from injuries, from wounds. They would have got infected. They would have got gangrene. They would have died eventually. But some soldiers died because their enemy took a sword and baptized it into them. The word meant something vicious, violent, overtaking, a plunge under. There's a story of King Herod. Um, who was a very paranoid, Herod the Great, very paranoid, uh, crazy individual, always thought somebody was coming for the crown. So what he did is he took his son, who he suspected was coming to take the throne from him, and he lured him out into the family pool in the, back, in the backyard, and there he baptized him unto his death. That's historian's word for it. So universally, the word has always meant plunge underwater. Now, you and I understand something. That's this. That if you grow up in a Methodist church or a Catholic church or a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church, what happens is we will begin to just kind of attach to this and it's just real. And we will have a conversion experience and we will attach to something that's that, or the format or the method that they, that they use and that's what we do. When you are in that position, when you are in that place, and you wrestle with, okay, so I just learned this new information. Baptized means that I'm plunged underwater, and somebody sprinkled me. What do I do next? 
you, you're probably asking the wrong guy. Talk to the Lord about it. Like, you and Jesus have the conversation. You have the conversation. If you feel like that's something you need to do, do it. If you're in a completely different place, you and the Lord have talked about it, you're not, in, you're not there, hey, look, that's your relationship with God. I wouldn't want you nosing around in mine, okay? I'm not going to come over there in yours and be like, you know, if you don't do this, you're probably going to burn, you know, the bad place, right? <laughs> How fair is that? You have a relationship with Jesus. The Spirit speaks to you as the Spirit speaks to me. For me to make a judgment call in your life, here's what I know. This was their understanding of the word. As far as we go inside this church, this is the way we want to do it because we are kind of weirdos about words around here. We kind of get amped up and geared up about what this word means. That's just, so this is what we do. That's important to us. In this church, that's what we'll do. But we're not going to condemn or smash anybody else because of where they stand or where they grew up because the majority of us did not grow up in a Christian church. We could go across the room. How many of you grew up in a Mormon church? There'd be 10. How many grew up in a Catholic church? There'd be 10. How many in a Baptist church? 10. This is always the way it is. For us, where we are, where we're headed, what we want to do, we want to honor God's word. That's number one. That's one of those things up at the very top corner. We want to honor God's word first and foremost in the best way we can. If that speaks to you on that level, do what you need to do, okay? We beat that horse long enough, good? Okay, next thing that I, want to, um, that I want to bring up, that I want to talk about with this is, now again, it sounds like I'm pleading my case, but I just want to show you something. The idea of baptism was universally accepted inside of Scripture. Check this out. And every conversion experience you see, every conversion, believe in Jesus Christ, His resurrection, every conversion experience that you see inside of Scripture is followed by baptism. Every single one of them. You go through uh, the, bo uh, the book of Acts, and you'll start at Pentecost. And those who believed were baptized, and check this out. Imagine this on a Sunday. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Three, th do you know what this building will hold? Not 3,000. That's what I know. Not 3,000. Standing, covered in butter, pushed in the door, maybe. But no the way. No other way. It would be just, it's not going to happen. 3,000 were baptized. Wow. So you go on down. There's this conversation that happens with this Ethiopian individual who found a copy of the scripture somewhere, and he's reading it, and it's about somebody, but he doesn't know who. And one of the disciples says, do you know what it is you're reading? And he says, no, how would I know? Someone should teach me. And he says, it's, it's just talking about Jesus. And he says, you're supposed to be baptized. And the Ethiopian said, there's water. What's your problem? Well, nothing. Well, come on and baptize me. You go on down through there. Saul's conversion, the apostle Paul, who was before Saul, persecuting the church, chasing the church. Jesus, check this out. I love this. Jesus shows up in this gnarly voice and vision. Who are you? Uh, the apostle Paul says, or Saul at the time. Who are you? He says, I am he. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. If you have an experience like that, you know what? In my mind, this is how it works. I don't have to do anything you say after that. Me and Jesus had a conversation. 
I mean, Jesus was talking about something. I heard it. He made me blind. I don't have to do crap you tell me to do. Like this, it'd be very easy to get there. You know what the Apostle Paul does? He has been baptized. For some odd reason, this is attached, and it just keeps going. You'll get Lydia's conversion. There's a, there's a jailer. God breaks open the jail, and the disciples are there. And the, and the, and the jailer is like, I'm going to have to off myself because they're going to do it for me. And they said, stop, stop, stop. We're still in here. Don't worry about it. They escape. They make, this, they make their way out. And the jailer is then baptized, he and his family. Crispus and the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Ephesians, they all come to this knowledge of Jesus. And the next thing they do is that they are baptized. Now, listen, I'm not trying to stack the deck on my side, but I want to show you this is what God's word says, that we just do it. There is one time that we do not see uh, baptism at a somewhat of a conversion type of experience. And that is when Jesus is on the cross and there is a thief next to him. But this also happens before the resurrection of Jesus, so there was no baptism. Baptism is the identifying mark of death, burial, resurrection. And that all came after the burial of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism was universally accepted by the first church. Here's what we do. Well, can I be saved and then baptized later? And half the congregation goes, absolutely. Hold on. Hold on. The space between the two is never mentioned. It's never brought up. It's never brought up. It's never a question. It's never focused on. It's just this thing that's all wrapped into one and we just do it. Yeah, but do you have to do it? I think that's a terrible question. If my kids walked up to me and I said, would you go clean your room? And they said to me, how little do I have to do and you still be happy? I would lose my mind. I want you to do what I ask you to do. Because that shows me where your heart is. Us to define it and put the parameters on it. You see what I mean? And again, if you were in a completely different place, you and God can work this thing out. No judgment on my end. But I'm telling you, if you were my child and you ask me, how little do I have to do for you to still be pleased? You have to wonder the commitment to the relationship. You have to wonder the commitment to the relationship. Okay, just a few things and then we will get right to it, all right? The why. Why would we get baptized? Well, first and foremost, the end of Matthew one of the last things it says is Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them. Baptizing them. So here's what we are to understand. My conversion experience should incorporate this act of baptism, no questions asked. Why? Because Jesus said so and I don't ever want to like stand in front of him and be like, but I didn't really think you meant it, meant it. Like, I don't want to have that conversation with Jesus. Because he might say, like, well, I kind of meant it, meant it. You know, I don't want to. Let's do this thing. Let's just do what we're asked to do. His command is to do it. Not only is his command to do it, but his command is to also to teach it. We're to teach other people that this is what baptism is for. So then what is it for? Well, here's what it says in 1 Peter 3. Uh, let me turn over there real quick. Sorry. First Peter 3, um, 
looking at verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, and the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Okay, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. That's a very interesting point. I would love to get off on it and talk about it, but we don't have time. We'll talk about it later. When the, uh, when the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism, check this out, that now saves you also. Wait, does baptism save you? Go ahead and say no, and I will give you a verse that says yes. But Peter also understands how that sounds. He also understands, does baptism say, does getting in the magic dunk tank make you go to heaven? Well, Peter says, baptism saves you. Mm, I'm not happy with, the, that's got crickets in it. It's not magic water. How is it, how does it save me? Listen what he says. Few people, eight and all, were saved through the water, and the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Not because you got in the magic dunk tank. That's not, that has nothing to do with it. What it is, is you getting into the baptistry is your appeal to God for a clean conscience. Now, follow me to this one. Is anybody here in need of a clean conscience? Right? I wished, I wished that I knew that God and I were okay. I wish I knew that he wasn't mad at me. I wish there was something I could do or say to let the Lord know that I desperately need him to move into my life because I feel like garbage 24 hours a day. Is there a way for me to know that me and God are okay? Baptism is your appeal. It's your inquiry. It's your, check this out, here's another word, command. It's your demand. Your demand to God. Now this is weird, isn't it? The word means demand. Your demand to God for a clean conscience. Now, Lord, let me not feel this way anymore. I feel guilty for all the garbage I have messed up in my marriage, how I've jacked up my kids, how I've offended half the community, I'm quite sure, how I'm disappointed my friends. Lord, and I can't imagine what I have done to you. I have a solution. Baptism is your appeal to God, your pledge to God to say, I want a clean conscience can't beat that. Why baptism? Because baptism saves us. Because of the water? No. Because I am going through a spiritual, a spiritual situation, a spiritual encounter or experience, and it's happening to my physical body. 
stepping into that and that becomes this what my seven-year-old what my 12-year-old when she was seven what she said to me as I'm trying to explain baptism and my little girl Allie she looks up and she goes so baptism is my prayer tell me more <laughs> what else do you know you little because that's exactly what it is it is my prayer have me at my core, all of me, here I am. We move from, <laughs> that's probably what it sounds like, sorry. <laughs> we move from why we do it we, and we move on to what it is. What it is, number one, First Peter says right in the very, right in the very first verse, for Christ died for sins once for all. He dies for the sins one time for all. So what is baptism? Baptism is him stepping and, and putting his neck on the chopping block for us. It's called substitution. We're lined up on the firing squad because of who we are, because of what we've done, because ever since we were babies, we were selfish, greedy little punks, you know? And this is who we were, and maybe we tried to be better for Jesus and tried to do more gooder things for God. And all that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I lay my head on my pillow, and I think nasty thoughts about people, right? Somebody crosses the intersection, and they knew it was yellow. It was almost red. I want them to know about it, so I'm going to tell them, you know. And I'm lined up on the firing squad and somebody steps up in my place. Move them out of the way. I'll take it all. A substitution. What is baptism? Baptism is me being grateful for the substitution. This is me stepping forward and saying, you know what? I need to do this thing because you stepped up for me. So I will step up for you. The next thing is, that it is, is this. Subjection of all our enemies. I love this. Love it, love it, love it. It speaks to me on so many levels. It might offend you. I don't apologize. God is all loving. True or false? True. God is jealous. True or false? True. God is anger at times true or false true God is all loving true or false see what I mean is he all loving or does he sometimes have temper tantrums like me breaking sunglasses and mini blinds you know well I would say this I don't think one can exist without the other can you be all loving and never be jealous or angry? I would say no. I'll give you an example. If I'm asleep in my home where my precious babies and my beautiful wife are lying, trying to get some sleep, and somebody comes in my front door with the intention of harming my family and I love them my love will then reach a brand new place to where it will act differently 
than it was acting earlier in the evening when we were playing this cool little dice game called Tenzies, right? Or when we were playing uh, Uno. And, oh, that was a good one. You beat me. Oh, that's a good one. Or when we were snuggling and we were watching Drake and Josh reruns, okay? Whatever it may be, this is what we're doing, and this is my love. And I will serve them, and I will take care of them. But then when they fall asleep at night, and then somebody else comes in the door with the intention of harming my family, how must I then love my family? Well, I'm not sure. To a certain degree my love will change. How much, you ask? Not a whole lot, just about mm, nine millimeters. <laughs> just about nine millimeters will really be all. Well, Jared, that's terrible. I think it's terrible too. It's absolutely terrible. But there is something about love that will make you insane, correct? Have you ever seen an angry soccer mom? <laughs> hmm? Insanity. Pure insanity. Did you talk to my, I will, dear Jesus, I'm gonna, you know, like this, this is what happens. Why? Because love makes you insane. Do you think that came from nowhere? Or do you think that sprung from the very heart of God? I will love my people. I will love them. I will love them. And whoever tries to touch them, flies, frogs, blood, locusts, and I'll even take their firstborn. These are my people. Back off. You've been warned. And God lashes out in absolute love. It's so hard to understand. So hard to understand. And then we come to this verse. Look at the end of it, verse 22. Um, chapter 3, 1 Peter, 3, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Who has gone into heaven, Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What happens at my baptism? I change position. I change status. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I move over to the other side of the line. And you know what that means? Now I am his son. So I've moved from just being an orphan to being a son. And do you know what I would do for any one of my children? Everything. Everything. And that's what God did for us through Jesus. So for us, it is that. It's the subjection of our enemies to where God moves into our life and says, I will protect you. Now listen, you can't rub it like a genie in a bottle and be like, get hit, you know? It doesn't work that way. Vengeance is the Lord's. You can try to direct him if you want, but it won't work as well as you wish, you know? The second thing is this. I mean, the third thing, sorry, the first one, substitution for our sin or for the sinner, subjection of all of God's enemies. Third and last thing is this, this produces union with Christ. That's what baptism is to us, union with Christ. Uh, Romans chapter six, if you've got your Bibles, Romans chapter six. I'll read it to you if you don't have one. There might be one in your seat as well. Romans chapter six, verses three and four. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love this and it blew my mind as I was looking at it this week. Here's what it says. My baptism takes me metaphorically and somewhat spiritually to the very tomb of Jesus Christ where I will be laid down beside him. And if I am dead inside of his tomb, then the same thing must happen to me that happened to him, which was what? Resurrection. Let me ask you this. Are there things in your life that you just cannot seem to overcome and that you need a resurrection? Perfect. Are there arguments that do not die? Are there things inside of us that we just have to fight constantly? Are there things in us that we just say, the power of that seems to be so much stronger than me. What do I need to do? Sounds like you need a resurrection. It sounds like you need a resurrection. So this strange metaphorical, even spiritual type of thing happens to where I am buried with Christ in the, in the baptistry. And then when I am raised anew, he is then with me, within me, working for me, doing things on me, empowering me. That's the beauty of what happens. This is what we call our unity with Christ, our union with Christ. We take on the same scars as him. As, a little, as little boys let me tell you what little boys are interested in. The same scars that their daddies have. Have you ever seen this? You ever noticed this? These little boys, they're like, do you see this scar? I got this one from jumping my bike off of two cinder blocks, you know? Where'd you get that one? I got that one because I was playing with a knife and my mama told me not to, you know? And they love these little scars and these little things that are on them. Why? Because that's what tough guys have. I had a text message this, uh, a couple weeks ago from my sister. Her little boy was riding a bike on a bridge and rode off the bridge, crumbled into a ball, jacked up his hand, cut it open, broke something. Like he was just, he was just a mess. Well, he's a little messed up because his hand won't open all the way. These fingers, they had, they had this little surgery on them. And so now the skin is tight and they won't open and he was really worried about it. My sister texted me and she said, would you please send my little boy a picture of your pinky finger? Well, sure. He's a little messed up that his doesn't open all the way. So I <laughs> sent him a picture of mine because it doesn't either. And here's what I told him. The only reason that like warriors have hands like these is from saving people who need help, fighting bad guys. That's what it's for. You get these because you do dangerous things with a super brave heart. Because my sister texts back, <laughs> you know, she's sobbing her eyes out, you know. <laughs> he sends me a picture of his, and his are kind of mangled up like this. I text him back, holy crap, you're a warrior too? I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, you know, here's what else is good. When your hands are like that, they close faster and you can make a fist faster. You can also hold on to things tighter and rescue people better. Oh, great hands have these 
wonderful scars. So I grabbed this picture that somebody had drawn of the hands of Jesus with these big wounds right in the middle. And I sent it to him and I said, all warriors have these gnarly, jacked up hands and it comes from saving people. 